There's sometimes I would rather just stay where I am and just keep doing that and come up here. You might find that to be often the case. But today was one of those days. Thanks for worshiping together. The Spring Bank of America decided to uh, launch a new slogan. They were having credibility problems <clears throat> along with a lot of banks. And, um, and they decided they wanted to tap into something that would help people to understand that they could relate to real life, real people doing real life together, that they were, um, they said, they call themselves, they said, a more human company. And in order to say what is most human and in order to relate to that, they unveiled this spring um, this new logo which you, and um, this, this statement, which you may have seen or you probably will see, and it's this. They said, Bank of America, their slogan is, life's better when we're connected. I think that, um, I think that they actually tapped into something there. <laughs> Life is better when we're connected. Um, they, weren't, they didn't come up with that idea. <laughs> The one who made us actually has an idea. In fact, it, there's a reality to where you live. You may try to isolate yourself a lot, but you are connected somewhere, somehow, with somebody. And, um, and you're doing things in partnership. You're doing things as, a, as an ally that way. And life's better when we're connected. God has to say that. The big question then becomes, who do you connect with? How do you connect with them? What does God have to say with the most opportune way to connect with him is that life is better when we're connected. That's what we're going to take a look at today in this part of the letter from Paul to a, a church, struggling church, church with all kinds of problems, the church in Corinth. And if you've got a Bible, I invite you to look with me. We're at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in the middle of the, the chapter. There are alliances that help you get where you're going. You, you form an alliance, you, you form a pact, you, you go there with somebody. And Paul's going to talk about how you move forward in what last week we, he called the reconciled life. Big, huge, this is the biggest part of his, of his message to these people is it's his calling in his life, the most important thing in the world, nothing else, not what you possess, not who you are, not where, you, not where you're going, not who you're connected to is more important than this one thing and that is, can you, are you reconciled with the Most High God? Have you been reconciled? There is a way to have that happen. There is one way. It is through the sacrificial uh, atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross, substituting himself for to absorb the penalty for my sin. It is, he, he calls on people to say, whatever you do, that now is the time, at the, at the start of this chapter, verse, uh, chapter 6, now is the time, this is the day of salvation. He says, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Now, if we had a show of hands today and we said, how many of you have been reconciled to God? I bet a lot of people in the room would say, I'm confident of that because I have accepted the gift of eternal life. Not everybody in the room has done that. Wherever you are in that journey, we're going to talk about this reconciled life because it doesn't just end there. It just doesn't give you a ticket to heaven. There's a whole life that God has for us. Jesus said, that this is the name of our church, came from this verse in John 10.10. 10, I came that they may have life and that people could experience to its fullest. You're designed to have a fullest life possible. That fullest life comes as a result of walking in and progressing in this reconciled life that Paul's talking about. There's a way to do that. We're moving forward in that life. And, and, 
And that life is, our, uh, the reconciled life is a life that's been restored with God, that's been repurposed by God, that's been refocused by God. You're called to that life. It's going to look different. It's supposed to look different. It's a fundamentally different approach to living than you lived before you were reconciled. And it's going, should look fundamentally different than what the unreconciled world looks like too. Paul says, that message is worth any cost to deliver. That's what we've seen. He is, he's willing to pay any cost to get that message to these people. Can we extrapolate? It's, he would pay any cost. It's worth any cost to get that message to you, to get it to me, to get to the people who are sitting r- around you right now. It is the most important message is the reconciled life, being reconciled with God. Now, how do we move forward in that reconciled life? There are a whole lot of choices and claims of how the best accomplish that how do you make life work how's how's life supposed to work what makes it better what makes it the fullest life there are lots of pockets of people who say if you go through these exercises or do these kinds of things you will grow in that reconciled life who do you listen to who do you enhance who's going to enhance you who do you trust and we will eventually choose a prevailing philosophy we'll either come up with it ourselves or we'll go to a church somewhere, we'll go to a program somewhere, we'll read a book somewhere, and we'll say, okay, I think I'm going to align myself with your path. So you're going toward what I think is the, the fullest life. I'm going to trust myself to go with you. I'm going to kind of lock arms with you. We're going to go that direction. They say that, I, I guess this is a law in, in Nepal. You cannot climb Mount Everest. You will not be allowed to climb Mount Everest. You can't leave the base camp unless you're part of an expedition. You can't just go by yourself. You can't even just say a couple, pick a couple buddies and go, oh, we're going to climb up to the, the summit. You're, you can't, you're not allowed by law to do that. You have to be part of an expedition. Generally, those expeditions are the minimal amount is seven people. As many as 35 people go up the four-day trek from base camp up to the summit. People have died this month doing it. But you won't even be allowed to leave the camp. You'll be arrested if you try to do it by yourself. It comes down to who you're aligned with. Who do you trust? Who do you form an alliance? And those people become your best friends when you climb. You're going to trust them. You're going to go where they're going. You're going to believe in the same things. You're going to do things the same way. Now today, we're going to get some crystal clear direction from God about how this reconciled life works and how we move toward it and who we do that with. And there's a principle that God's going to give. And it's very stark and straightforward. He's got a reason for saying it, but it's found starting in verse 14. Here we go. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what, right, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Pause there for a minute. Who are you going to be on this journey with? Paul says, now, speaking for God. He says, you want the reconciled life, you want the life to the fullest, here's something you've got to keep in mind. Make this a very, very clear principle. You don't form that alliance with people who are going a different direction from you. You don't form that alliance. If you are a believer, that doesn't just mean, check, I believe that God exists, check, God, Jesus is the Son. You have put your trust wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ. You have transferred your trust to him. He is now the leader of your life. If you're in that position, you're a believer. What you, whatever you do, he says, don't yoke yourself with somebody who's not in that position. Somebody who's not yet reconciled with God through Christ. Now, here's what he's not saying. 
It does not say, look at it again, it does not say, do not be together with unbelievers. It doesn't say to avoid unbelievers. It doesn't say to live your life apart from unbelievers. Some people, some churches espouse this. It's like everybody's an enemy except for people who believe like I believe. Something terrible will happen if I'm just around them. I can't relate to them. I don't want to think about them. I don't want to be around. So we cocoon ourselves with all nice Christian people. Let's just, let's see if we can. There are places, there are mega churches in this country where you basically, sometimes you can get your job there. You can live your entire life there. You can go work out in that building. You can eat in that building. You can study in that building. You can raise your family in that building. You can do everything in that building. Let's build a cocoon to keep ourselves isolated from unbelievers. Can I tell you, this is not saying that. It is not saying do not be with unbelievers. As a matter of fact, Paul himself, to this same group of people, wrote about this. In 1 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, he says, I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at, now get this, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. He was talking there about how people relate with people who are choosing to sin, who are saying they're in the same family. The, the famous passage of Jesus The example of Jesus, Mark 2 puts it this way. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, there were many tax collectors and, quote, sinners. And they were eating with him and his disciples. There were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, I've come to call sinners. In Matthew 5, Jesus put it bluntly, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Don't hide it. He says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's not saying don't be together with unbelievers. We believe around here, that's where you should live your life. You start with a base of people who are are on the same team, but you live your life among people to show them. That's what we're called to. That's what Rick talked about all last week. We've been given this. Knock down the barriers that are blocking people from being reconciled to God. It's the ministry of reconciliation. You've been called to it too. So it's not saying isolate yourself from unbelievers. Okay, so what is it saying? It's saying don't be yoked together with them. Now, what that envisions is an apparatus that farmers use, both farmers, both for plowing and for transportation where two beasts would be hitched to the same pulley to pull something in the same direction. In this day and age, and and when it was first talked about, it was a very agriculture environment, and people, this is how they plowed their fields. It was was called an uh, an ox yoke. And there would be two circles, and one ox head would go in one, and one right next to it, ox head would go in the other, and then you would attach it to this blade that would pull through the ground. You'll still see it sometimes if you walk around, if if you drive around in Amish country. The yoke is what put those people together, it com- or those, those beasts together. It, it pushed them in the same direction. It tied them for the same purpose. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, part of the law, God, among his things, this is, this is just civil law. This is like, hey, here's how to do the civilization stuff. God said, don't yoke together an ox with a donkey. That's what God said. Don't do it. You go, well, that's kind of crazy. I mean, really, that's, that was a law? That was a law? Yeah, don't do it, God says. 
God wasn't doing it because it was immoral to do that. He said it just doesn't work. And those who study these things actually talk about it. And they say this, an ox and donkey being of different species and of very different characters cannot associate comfortably nor unite cheerfully in drawing a plow or a wagon. The donkey being much smaller and his step shorter, there would be an unequal and irregular draft. Besides, the donkey from feeding on coarse and poisonous weeds has wretched breath, which its young fellow seeks to avoid. It can cause sickness in the ox, they say. So that eventually it's been observed that what will happen is it, it'll, the, the, the ox will hold its head away from the donkey and pull with one shoulder and then it'll go in kind of different directions. So God says, you know, not a good idea. That's an unequal yoke. Now he's going to take that word picture. He's going to apply it to the direction we're trying to go in the reconciled life. He says, you're going to make alliances, but when you make alliances, make them to, with people who are going the same goal in the same way. Uh, one, one scholar about this said, yoke together is, it's not a technical term referring specifically to a legal or cultural binding act. Rather, it's a metaphor referring to any kind of joint participation, formal or informal, Hear this. That significantly forms one's identity. To be yoked together is to take on the identity of those who are joined together for a common goal or task. It is to be someone's ally. Paul, talking to a group of people who've been infiltrated by a lot of different schools of thought, says, when you're going to go toward the reconciled life together, be careful who you yoke yourself with. If you're a believer, if you're a reconciled person, don't yoke yourself together with an unreconciled person. It won't work. But keep this in mind. If you want to live life to the fullest, you don't do it solo. If you want, if you want to get somewhere best, you don't enter into it without alliances. The grandfather of all the, the reality shows is Survivor. It's still out. Right? Some of you some of you watch Survivor. Okay, is it on now? All right. It has been said by those who study there's a whole science now to how you play the game Survivor. And those who have studied the, the socio sociological ramifications of living in this little community said that it it is not only has it never happened, it will not happen that someone will win that show unless they enter into more, at least one and more than one, what they call alliances. I believe they actually call them that on the show. You have to decide who you're going to trust, how far you're going to go with them when you break the trust, when you move on. And then, as I understand it, some of winning the show involves when to betray the trust, when to sell out on the alliance. You will not win unless you form alliances, but make the right ones. So I, um, I brought this with us today. This is not an ox yoke. That is an evener. It's an apparatus that usually either two donkeys or two horses are hooked to, one on one side, one on the other side, through its harnesses, and then attaches to a plow for manually plowing a field. I have that from my days of, as a farmer in the days back in Brooklyn. 
Got a, from a local guy. You are attached. You're moving your life. Somebody or some group is over here. Maybe it's some sets of groups. Maybe it's different ones for different goals. But there's almost nothing that you're involved in in your life that isn't trying to move a direction and you're attached pulling a plow or pulling a wagon, going in a direction. The question is, so who gets here? Who do you put here? Friends, co-workers. What alliances are there in your life? Paul's going to make a very, very strong statement here. It says, Do not willfully ally yourself for the most important stuff in your life, the direction of your life, with someone who's not living the reconciled life. Even, even if they use the same words for the things that they're look, moving toward, because as we saw earlier, he says, you're focused on the unseen is where you're going, and those who don't have the reconciliation are focused on what's seen. It's going to be a different direction. It's going to be divergent paths. Here's how incompatible they are. Take, take a look at what he says next. Verse uh, 14, the second part of it. For what do righteousness and wickedness... He's got, in fact, he's going to use five, five little comparisons here. Let's see how these compare. The first one. What, is, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Righteousness is a word that means that which reflects the character and the direction of God himself. Righteousness is what God does. So righteousness in a human being is that which reflects his character and his direction for life. Wickedness is is anything which violates the character or direction of God. What do those two have in common? They are diametrically opposed to each other. Then he says, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? So he's got another one, light and darkness. Now, we still use this analogy all over the place. Light tends to represent that which is good, that which is alive, that which is pure. Darkness rep- tends to represent that which is hidden, that, that which is, is wrong. The Bible says that God resides in unapproachable light. He, it calls on us to be children of the light or to walk in the light. There's this property which scientifically you can try to explain. All I know is this, this is why true. When darkness is there, when light enters, darkness leaves. They don't coexist. In the space where light exists, darkness does not exist. So Paul says, so what fellowship? And you know what the word is for there? What koinonia? I use that word a lot around here. Deep connectedness. Soul level purpose connectedness. What koinonia is there between light and darkness well it's a rhetorical question right well there is none then he says what harmony is there between christ and belial christ we know that name belial you may not be as familiar with it it's a nomenclature that's used for the enemy satan the devil well this is but it's not a proper name it's more uh, an adjectival name, like the enemy. It, it actually comes from um, an extension of a Hebrew equivalent that means a worth, the worthless one, the worthless opponent, the treacherous opponent, the one whose name we don't even speak. So it's a title given. It's like you don't even want to say their name. And if there's ever a place where we can understand what he, what's being done here, it's right here in this city. 
because this is the home of the Ohio State Buckeyes. And the arch rival of the Ohio State Buckeyes is that team up north. Don't even want to say their name. But it conveys something, right? They're the treacherous opposition. They're the worthless opposition. They're the ones, if you, what is it, you go, go north till you smell it, turn right until you step in? Okay. That's what's being said here. And, and, and the question is, is an obvious one. What harmony is there between those two? There's no harmony. As a follower of Christ, I've got somebody who is, and so do you, whether, whether we're living it or not all the time, I have resigned my, the authority of my life and the directorship of my life. I've signed it over to another enterprise. It is Jesus Christ Incorporated. It is the living Son of God who's ruler of heaven and earth. He is the one who says, I, am, I've got, I will give you life. I will give you the path. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Not just get spared by me, but follow me. I've declared myself to be his follower. That authority, that directorship belongs to him as opposed to those who are deceived. And so he goes on to talk about that with the next one. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? It's not saying they're, they're just dastardly people all the time. It's who is calling the shots in the life. As a follower of Jesus, I'm called to live by faith. I'm supposed to trust him. I'm supposed to look for what's unseen, his kingdom and his ways and his character. And somebody who has not restored a relationship, I can't expect them to, to do the same. They're not living by faith. It doesn't mean they're terrible people. God loves them. God wants to be reconciled, but we're not headed the same direction. And then the last of the analogies is, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? One stands for, all throughout the Bible, stands for the very presence and relational connection of the one and only God of all, the Almighty God. It is a living presence in the temple. There are temples where there are idols, and God has said very clear, an idol may evoke a whole lot of worship. It may be... It may, may, people may dedicate themselves. They may be very sincere. But at the end of the day, an idol is made of wood. There's nothing to it. It doesn't live. It can't accomplish anything. There is nothing alive in that idol. So what agreement is there between those two? Now, what Paul does here is, now he mentions the temple. It's almost like he goes, oh, and by the way, since we're talking about the temple, can I just, it's almost on the side that he puts on here. So he's got all those things that he's talking about. He goes, oh, by the way, as we're talking about the temple, one other thing about the temple, you actually are it now. You're the walking temple. It's one of the mysteries of the, of the Old Testament, Paul calls it other places. That Christ comes to take residence by his Holy Spirit within the being of a follower. See, the, the, the ongoing principle of the, of the temple was there all through the Old Testament. I mean, all, all through history of man. And what he's going to do now is really interesting. He's going to take little snippets from all different parts of the Bible and put them all together in one place. 
as God has said, and this is not a quote from one place, this is four or five different passages from the Old Testament, and it spans a whole part of history that says, in, in, the, in the earliest days of human history, this was true. I'm going to take another snippet from the days when the, the, the kingdom was united. I'm going to take another snip, snippet from the days of the prophets. I'm going to take another snippet from the days of the, uh, of the exile. But something's going to be true and it's going to line them all together. So when this phrase gets used, it's actually coming, this quote is from a bunch of different places. As God has said, I will live with them, walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He just took a snapshot of the entire spectrum of the people of God for one principle, and that is God wants to know you. He wants to live among you. He's always been his plan, intimate connection with God. And now he says, since we're talking about the temple, Guess where that is now? It's actually your body. You, the Holy Spirit of God, since the ascension of Jesus Christ, has made His residence the soul of those who follow Him. I am a carrier of the presence of God. I don't quite know how that works. I, don't, I wish I could feel it more. I wish it would give me superpowers. It doesn't do any of that. But the fact is that I am give, I'm called the temple of God. Paul has, has written this already to the Corinthian people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a very famous passage, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, he's going to talk about the direction you go with it. Honor God with that temple. Go a direction that moves further along for his purposes, that brings glory to him. That, that, here's what's cool about what he says here. You are the temple. He, he actually turns out in verse 16, he says, for we are the temple. And that, this means it's true individually and it's also true collectively. That the body of Jesus Christ is called a body. It is called the carrier of Jesus Christ. You, you're gathered with a group of people right in this room right now. Some of you are, are definitely involved in relational connection. We do a lot in cell groups around here. It is not just a fraternity meeting. It's not just a club. There is something really radically significant about when that, ga- that group functions together in community, in koinonia. The presence of God manifests himself in that collection of people. You don't control it. You can't make certain things happen but it's something that's essential to how we live. And, and now Paul says, this temple, you're a carrier of the temple, but so are we collectively a temple. You know what this does? It heightens the value of two things. It heightens the value of the church. Not as an institution, as a functioning body. It, height, it says there is something really significant and essential to living, the reconciled life that comes as a result of the, of the presence of God manifesting itself in that environment, it heightens that to the place where we say around here, it's non-negotiable, man. You want the highest, full, fullest life? You've got to be connected in the heart-level community. It also heightens the value of the vehicle you carried in with you today. Your physical body, which carries your soul with it, is not just another living being on the planet. There is something 
significant, valuable earmark about your particular body designed the way it is because you are a carrier of God. You represent Him in this world. You have the capacity to experience His power coming through that body. You can get His perspective. You you actually image, we're created in God's image. You image Him. You reflect Him in how you go to work or change a diaper or talk to your neighbor or how you drive your car. Yeah? It heightens the value of what you are walking around in, what you're thinking through, what you're doing with that. You're the temple of the living God. Paul uses all that to underscore this one important fact is, okay, that temple is moving forward in this reconciled life. Therefore, do not hitch it to that which is going to take you a different direction. Don't make alliances with any philosophy of thought about how life works better, how the body's going to function better, how how your direction in life, how your monetary growth will happen, how your security in life will happen. Don't attach that formally to anything that does not match the direction you're going. So it comes down to this. Look, we're not going the same direction with those who aren't reconciled with God. We're not, we don't have the same ultimate goals. We may use the same language, but we're not going the same direction. When Tom Cruise became the evangelist for Scientology, he very, very strong statements about how, how what, what an amazing system Scientology is. And one of the things that Tom Cruise said about, and this is actually a tenet within Scientology, is that Scientology is not a religion. It's a philosophy, it's approach to practical life. And as such, it, it is compatible with any major religion. You can be Buddhist and Scientology. You can be Is- Islamic and, Sci- and, you, and you can hold the Scientology. You can be a follower of Jesus Christ and hold the Scientology. And I say to that, hey, Tom, sorry, bud. We aren't going the same direction. It is impossible for us to go the same direction. Oh, but wait. Don't you want to be free from addiction? Yes. Don't you want your marriage to work? Yes. Don't you want to be the healthiest possible body you can have? Absolutely. See, we're going in the same direction. No, we're not. Because the direction I'm going is all of my eggs are in the basket of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of my life. I listen to one source of truth. One source of truth. It is His Word. I have one person in my life who calls the shots. I worship Him. When my heart is surrendered to Him, it changes me from the inside out. The way I become a better husband or a better father or free from addiction is not because I try a bunch of techniques. I'm not pulling in that direction. I'm going to pull in the direction of knowing God through His Son, following His ways. That's going to take me the direction I'm going. Tommy, we're going two different directions, babe. I'm, we have, we're focused on the unseen, the kingdom of God, the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm not focused on my personal enhancement. I'd like to be personally enhanced. But if that happens, it happens as a byproduct of bringing glory to God and doing things His way, period. Don't hitch the yoke to somebody who's not going that direction. Now look what he says in, in, in chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, what are the promises? We just read 
snippets from the Old Testament. And there are promises involved in there. The promises are, the most important things in my life have been settled. I've been settled because I have been reconciled with the God who is the authority and judge of my life. That's been settled. I don't have to earn my stripes in life anymore. I don't have to worry about my eternal destination. I don't have to worry about whether God is with me. That's been settled. It's a promise I've been given. It's a guaranteed deposit with the Holy Spirit within me. That, that, that's been settled for me. If, by the way, if you're just looking into Christianity, one of the greatest gifts you have, are, will get when you cross the line of faith and you say to Jesus Christ, I'm ready. I need you in my life. I can't do this apart from you. I, I embrace what you did for me on the cross. One of the greatest gifts you've given is a stamp, a guaranteed future that says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It's secure. It's done. It's promised. Because we've got that stuff settled. As a result of that, what we're focused on then is, let us, what it says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. I don't need to attain my worth anymore. I don't need to focus on it. I don't need to worry about my future. I, what I can do is just become more like Him. Out of reverence, out of that same fear of God that drives us to reach people, knowing that He is the one who's the judge, but He has declared me forgiven in His sight, I can move toward perfecting holiness. It doesn't mean becoming perfect in everything I do. It means moving toward a place where I am distinct from my world because I'm more like the one who made the world. Somebody who's not reconciled with God, whether consciously or unconsciously, is still pulling hard in the direction of trying to establish their worth, trying to get what it takes to satisfy life, trying to figure out their purpose. They will pull hard in that direction. And God says, because of that, don't hook yourself up together. So this is how that works. Let me, let me find a strapping man. Who's a strapping man? Here's a strapping man. Would you be a strapping man? Would you pick another strapping man somewhere in the room and, and have them come with you? Chad, all right, he's a strapping man. All right, you guys come on up here. All right, let me see if I can get this off. Strapping men, lift that off for me. Where are you? Get to work. Pull up. There you go. Okay, carry that up here, would you? Got it? All right, front and center. Okay, here, you know what? See, because you're strapping men, but you have good taste. You, here, you put this on this side. You put this on this side. Okay, now. Tell everybody your name. Tim. Tim is going to represent the one who has been reconciled to God. And the path of righteousness is this direction because, look, obviously. All right? So what I want you to do is put that on your shoulder on this side. Turn this way. Okay, good. Pull this in front of you. Chad? Oh, tell everybody your name. This is Chad. All right, Chad is going to represent, well, he's, he's just not going the same direction. This is, this, he's going to represent somebody who is not reconciled with God, who's trying to make life work. Just a regular guy. And, of course, a regular guy who's going apart from God is going to go this direction. Okay. Would you put your right shoulder in there? Okay. Now, ready, strapping men? Put your hands on the... Okay, you're our two horses or, or oxen. Okay? On the count of three. 
Which way are we going? One? Oh, two, three. Okay, stop before somebody gets hurt. All right, put it down. Thank you, guys. Let's hear it for Our strapping men did exactly what I hoped they would do. They pulled hard. You're done. Thank you. Yes. Unless you can sit, hang out here. For, you can keep going if you like. Now, not only will those guys talk about who could have won later, they also illustrated something. They actually were doing that, weren't they? I mean, they were, they were actually pulling. How far did they move? They didn't. They made no progress whatsoever. If I want to move forward, let me put it this way. Okay, say this gently. Some of us don't feel like we've been moving forward. Some of us feel like we've been spinning our wheels. We're, going to, we're not getting any closer to God. We're not feeling any more freedom in Him than we used to. We're not stronger than we used to be. We feel like we're in pretty much in the same place we were six months or a year or two years ago. Perhaps, perhaps a factor in it happening might be to ask the question, who am I yoked with? Am I pulling in the same direction with the, one, with, with the ones who I'm most attached to? that I've aligned myself with. I mean, he, he says it very clearly in verse um, 17. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Again, it doesn't mean to cocoon yourself or isolate yourself from the world. It means when, you, when you're going a certain direction and you make a, 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 alliances, make alliances with people who are, who are going the separate direction with God than the world will, would know to go. Be separate from them, distinct from popular conventions and approaches. Let me look, listen. You just got to know this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there, there's going to be significant differences between the mainstream and how other things get done. Even when you use the same words to describe what's valued, it's, you're going to look different. You're going to be a lot. I, I did. I, I was called the jury duty. And I go and it's a, it's a high-profile divorce case with millions of dollars uh, being disputed. And, and there's a whole bunch of people who are being interviewed about uh, whether they're going to be on the jury or not. And the lawyers are already doing their lawyer thing in jury selection. They're asking kind of, uh, you know, questions that are kind of skewed certain ways. And one guy says, you know, this requires you to do math. Can, everybody can, can you divide? Anybody here can, can divide $20 million in half? Can you, anybody who can't do that? Anybody here who, you know, who, um, and then, then they start asking other questions. Is there anybody here who has a problem with somebody feeling like they just need to get what they deserve? And I looked around and went, kinda. And they look at the, and, they, and was, I was Reverend Bernardo on their list. I don't, <laughs> Reverend Bernardo? You have a problem with people getting what they deserve? Well, yeah. Everybody's looking. I, I didn't ask for this. These people all look at me like, where did you crawl out from? I said, well, I personally believe that we don't deserve anything. I personally believe that we deserve hell, but Jesus Christ loves me enough to give me a chance to not go to hell. That's uh, Okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
They ask another question. You know, this this is a, a, a this is a has to do with marriage and divorce. It's common in our culture. Anybody here got a problem with divorce? <laughs> Reverend Bernardo, I explain why it happened four times in the questioning. I'm raised, I'm the only one who answers. So then now they call the, they call the jury. They got twelve seats over here, and they start listing off names. Sure enough, they call my name. There's like 25 people that call my name. Well, I found out later it's because it's alphabetical order. They called, and I'm like, I'm in seat number three. I thought, I won? You, are you kidding? I won? I'm in this? And then the lawyers have a chance to dismiss a certain number of people. First lawyer stands up. Do you want to dismiss anybody? Yes, we dismiss Reverend Bernardo. <laughs> you're gonna, if you're pulling in the direction of the reconciled life, you're pulling in a direction that's not going to make sense to a whole lot of people. Don't unite yourself with those who aren't pulling in the same direction. And it's not just in culture. It's in church. I got I get letters and phone calls. I, I, you know, people say, hey, when we're going to do a building, you know, when we were were doing our building renovation, I had people call me saying, we've got the system that enables you to get the absolute most money raised that you could possibly raise from your people. And I and I had people call me and say that. And I go, yeah, I'm not interested in that. What? It's like the credit card commercial. You're not interested in more money? No. Why? I'm interested in something different. I'm interested in health. I'm not interested in raising money from these people. I just want to have God meet our needs. That's all. Oh, but we can raise $10 million more than you need. No thanks. I got people who tell me what I can do to grow our church faster. Don't you? Why, why wouldn't you want to grow your church faster? Why, I mean, and that, see, this is what Paul was dealing with with the Corinthian people. They had people in the name of God were saying, hey, we got whiz-bang ways to do this. We got slick ways. We're going we're gonna to penetrate our world. We're, you can be successful in the name of God. And he's saying, no, no, weakness in the name of God. That's what he uses. That's what we've been studying. It's weakness. It's failure. It's faithfulness. We have programs all the time. People give us, we say, we're not interested. Why? Because that's not our goal. Our goal is not to get more numbers in here. Our goal is to see lives transformed. We're pulling in a direction. And so there are assumed practices that the world has. I mean, in 1 John 2, here's a a way that it says it. It says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because everything that's in the world, and now this is this is basically, this is the approach of most of the world, satisfying the cravings of you know why wouldn't you satisfy your cravings? It's natural. The cravings of sinful man, lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and what he does. It's what you have, what you feel. Isn't that what we're told? Don't you want to feel better? Don't you want to look better? Don't you want to have more? How can anybody argue with that? Well, there's ways to accomplish that, but all those things comes not from the Father. Father, but from the world. And so he said, so it, the last phrase here says that um, verse, chapter seven, verse one, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that can, contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Chapter 17, quote of the Old Testament said, touch no unclean thing. It's not talking about the Old Testament mosaic law here because it's the whole spectrum. It's just saying, watch out for that which will contaminate the path. And so this applies to our alliances. Some people say that this is about marriage only. 
No, it's, the, the context here isn't talking about marriage, but I do think it applies. I do personally believe that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not want to put yourself in the yoke with somebody who's not following him. Even if you think you might influence him, wait for God to reach him, fine. But business practices, business partnerships, be really, really careful. Putting yourself in a system with somebody who says, man, we can come to this multi-level marketing plan. Boy, I'll tell you what, you can go in, you can make a whole lot of money. Well, be, you know what, be careful. Who are you aligning yourself with? Who is in your system? Are you going the same direction with them? Do you have the same values as them? When it comes to parenting approaches, relational connections, God would say, find the people who are pulling in the same direction and set a course along with them. Then you see progress made. You have to. I'll just say it this way. You have to be yoked to somebody. You have, you're going to be attached to somebody. Is there any group, any association, any club you're in, any, any relationship that you're in that you would say, I am yoked together, but it's not with somebody pulling the same direction? God would say, some, some of us need to kick some things out of the yoke. Replace it with something else. Now, if you're married to somebody who's an unbeliever, there's a, God says, stay in the yoke. God will work. But just about any other association, God says, replace it. Move it. So that you get who you're allied with will determine the path you go. Ally yourself with Righteousness. The pursuit of the character of God. I want to invite you to think about, and maybe we can talk about that in groups this week. Who's in the yoke with you? Who, who could be in the yoke with you? And what would happen if when, when you form the yoke, you form it with, with an alliance that takes you in the exact same direction that God has you going? That's the way to life, life at the fullest, the reconciled life. Pray with me. The hard part of this, God, for us, some of us is it, it, there are some of us um, who are in pretty deep with a belief system or an approach to finances or or even a dating relationship. And it feels like it would be a kind of a bloody thing if we change that course now. Would you give us the wisdom to recognize what applies from this and then the courage to say, I'm going to align myself only with those who are pulling the same direction. Teach us, God, how, how we can function by being actively involved in our world, being friends with people who are in the world, being valuing people and loving people who, who aren't reconciled with you. But seeing a difference between that and then adopting systems or covenants that might take us in a different direction. I, I really want to ask... For the, the, 
this would be a group of people that this family, this little outpost of your kingdom that exists right here, this would be a group of people who would be found getting in the yoke with each other and pulling toward, hard toward your kingdom and toward your righteousness. Make that true in our lives. Give us purity. Give us holiness. Help us pursue that together. And we invite you to, to expose and show us how that shows up in our lives in the name of your son. Amen.